Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a cookbook author and longtime journalist. And today I have such a jam-packed show for you. But first, I have really exciting news. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to share this. I just launched my very first ever product, the Healthier Together deck. It is a card deck with 150 conversation starters in six categories. We've got wealth, well-being, adventure, what if, love, and growing up. And I am so excited to share it with you particularly because it was really inspired by empowering you to bring the types of conversations that we have on this podcast into your home. This is basically a foolproof guard against ever having a boring conversation again. I love keeping one in my car and one out on my dining room table so that I can just pull cards randomly, but you can also play in a more organized way. It was designed to be used with family members, romantic partners, friends. I know a lot of people are buying it for bachelorette trips or to put out on the table at weddings, which I absolutely love. I think it's so genius. And it is equally good for people that you are very close to. I play with Zach, but it's also great for total strangers. My little sister is going to start bringing them out on her first dates and just being like, I don't know, I don't want to do the awkward first date thing. So we're going to use this deck. All right, I'll just, I want to pull a few, a few sample questions just so you can get a quick, a quick little vibe. Okay, this one is from Love. What is your favorite and least favorite part of your personality? All right, next we've got what if. If you could travel back in time and deliver one message to your past self, what would you say? Oh, This is one of my signature interactive questions. I am so proud of these. I really wanted the game to change every time you played it with different people. And I also wanted it to really help people engage with each other as much as self-reflect. So I created questions where you'll answer by making assumptions about the other person or complimenting them or brainstorming solutions to their problems. So this one is share one strength of each of the other players. Okay, I'll do one more of that. That was from well-being. And then this is from wealth. Would you be willing to share your salary with whomever you're playing with and vice versa? Discuss why or why not. This is a fully self-funded business and a total labor of love. We worked really hard to keep these at a reasonable price point. They are $25 a deck so that you can get one for yourself and for anyone that you love and want to get healthier together with. I think that they are perfect gifts for coworkers, loved ones, stocking stuffers. You can find out more at htdeck.com. That is htdeck.com. And I also have links and info all over my Instagram. I really, really cannot wait for you to get your hands on these and to hear all about what you think. Okay, let's talk about today's episode. We are back with another edition of Healthy Cooking Secrets, and this one is holiday themed. We get into every aspect of having a happier, healthier holiday, including tips to make cooking holiday meals less overwhelming, the best entertaining tips, including how to make it way less stressful, how to create an event your guests actually remember, and more, tools for dealing with anxiety during the holiday season, little tricks to feel healthy throughout a more indulgent season, delicious traditional and modern foods to try for Hanukkah, Christmas, and Thanksgiving advice for navigating the holidays as a single person, how to deal with pressure around drinking or social anxiety if you are sober curious or you just want to drink a little bit less, delicious mocktail ideas, and so much more. I was lucky enough to have on some of my favorite food bloggers and cookbook authors. We kick it off with Serena Wolf, the author of The Dude Diet and The Dude Diet Dinner Time, 
And then we welcome Sarah from The Cutting Veg, and we finish it off with Shanika from Orchids and Sweet Tea. It is an absolutely filled to the brim episode, and I hope that you find lots of fun takeaways, tips, and tricks to make your holiday season wonderful. And after you listen, remember htdeck.com. Just at least go and look at the cute website that Zach designed for me. I am very proud of it. Okay, enough from me. Let's get into the episode. All right, Serena, welcome back to the podcast because you've actually been on, you were on my book launch episode, which feels like it was 27 million years ago, but it, it actually was, like, was. <laughs> a whole, a literally whole different world back then. Oh God, that was such a fun night though. It was such a fun night. I mean, just like at this point, any night where a bunch of strangers were in a room together and it felt free and easy and like you didn't have a care in the world, felt like it feels like a magical memory. It does indeed. <laughs> Let's hold on to those. So for people who maybe aren't familiar with you, could you just give us a little bit of intro, like who you are, what you do, and maybe a little bit about sort of your food philosophy or your approach to cooking? Yes. So I am Serena Wolf. I am a trained chef. Um, I get super nervous when I have to describe myself in a short period of time. I wrote two cookbooks, uh, The Dude Diet and The Dude Diet Dinner Time. I am a virtual culinary instructor. I have a monthly cooking class subscription. It's called Serena's Cooking Club. We cook with people all over the country, and it is very, very fun. Um, I am also a podcast host. I co-host a podcast called Spiraling, which is a mental health-centric podcast with my friend Katie Dalebout, who is wonderful. She's so um, wonderful. She reminds me of a real-life Carrie Bradshaw. Like every time I see her, she? I'm just like she like has such Carrie Bradshaw vibes to me in the best in the best possible way because I and without you know some of the more annoying Carrie Bradshaw tendencies could not agree and also I have noticed that you've been rewatching Sex in the City and yes. the actual physical resemblance is very strong it's, too, it's so. uncanny the hair oh it's magical yeah Katie is the best well one of the things that you do is you throw some epic dinner parties so I want to get into that because it's the holiday season and a lot of holiday entertaining really falls within that dinner party category, whether it's just kind of like a festive get together or something more, you know, on the calendar, like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Hanukkah or anything like that. So I am curious, just like maybe start us off easy. What are some tips to make it feel less overwhelming? Okay. So first things first, I didn't mention my food philosophy, but I do think that it ties very much into my entertaining philosophy. I believe that both cooking and entertaining should be accessible, but also fun. If you're not enjoying the process, it's unlikely that you're going to want to do it again. This is more detrimental to one's healthy cooking and eating habits than entertaining per se, because if you never host another party again, I mean, it's not the end of the world, but it should be fun. And I am somebody who is a human tornado in the kitchen and in life. Like, I'm just going to be really honest with you here. So I have to really rein myself in and be super organized when it comes to entertaining. And that at the end of the day, being super organized leading up to the event allows me to be very freeform and in the moment when it actually happens. So I'm a big list maker throughout all parts of the entertaining process. 
Make a list of the possible themes that you would like to have, whether it is a small dinner party or a larger themed gathering. So when I say theme, I'm not like... Yeah, I'm like, what's a theme mean? 1920s flapper? No, but think more along the lines of, are you going to have sort of a, if it's summertime, like, are you going to have a more, a grilling themed dinner? Are you going to have really sort of light fare? Is it more comfort food? Are you going in a buffet, in more of a buffet direction? Or are you going to have a plated dinner? That's sort of what I mean by theme. It's more like what type of events are you planning? Although if you want to do like a medieval times theme, you totally can. Also very much support that naturally. But I do think that once you pick what you're going to do, that's when you start thinking about your menu. It is never too early to start thinking about your menu. I am currently daydreaming about dinner parties that I'll be having next summer. But (laughs) sit down. (laughs) I thought you were going to say Thanksgiving. (laughs) No, no, please, Liz. I obviously already have that planned. But pick your theme, then sit down and make a menu. My biggest tip for making your menu is for the love of God, do not choose a menu where multiple things have to be hot at the same time. This is everybody's biggest mistake. And I, I still to this day, answer questions all day long on Thanksgiving. It started back on in the blog days. And I was like, you can tweet me on Thanksgiving. That was super manageable because I had like 17 Twitter followers. So I was able to get to everyone's questions. Now it's just putting out fires left and right all day. But what everybody is freaking out about is the fact that everything needs to hit the table hot and there's not enough oven space and they only have two hands, not 37. So it's very important to map out can you serve? I, my personal goal is always to have a hot main dish or a room temperature main dish and room temperature sides. That is the best possible scenario. And when you think about it, there are a lot of things that lend themselves really well to being room temperature when they're side dishes, whether that's an actual salad, whether it's roasted vegetables to me are really delicious at room temperature. There's lots of sort of more composed salads. I think when I say salad, people are thinking about a literal green salad. But like a grain but, salad yes, a or grain something salad, like that. Things like that that are really great at room temperature. Um, things like a couscous, a rice pilaf, like something like that. It's um, actually like a very interesting thing in general to start with the problems that you run into in the end and then think about that when composing your menu. Like I had a moment like that with my food photography where I was making these really brown dishes in the early days. And then I would fight and fight and fight to make it look cute on camera. And then I heard some cookbook author was saying, she's thinking about what the final image will look like when she's developing the recipes, whether that means adding herbs or different color components or whatever. And by thinking about that, when she's developing, she doesn't run into this almost much harder to solve problem later down the line where she's fighting against a finished dish. So it's, it's, I feel like that applies to so many things. If you can predict the problem and think about it back when you're making the initial thing, it makes it so much easier to circumvent. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said, because my next, the next step in all of this is once you decide on your menu, which we're working towards, say you want to have hot side, sometimes you can serve the main dish at room temperature. Perfect examples of this are, I love a chicken paillard at room temperature. Nobody's ever upset about that. You know, that is absolutely fine. I don't think that something like a flank steak needs to be piping hot when it's served. Um, If you are doing, 
I often do when I do girls dinners and stuff, I'll roast a bunch of chickens and I will have the meat out with different salads and sides so people can sort of build their own grain bowl situation. And the chicken can absolutely be room temperature, you know, things like that. And then if you're doing plant-based, it's really easy to have more things at room temperature, but let's just... Wait, wait, wait. Let me stop you there really fast. Like what? Can you just give us a few examples of like, because I think plant-based mains is like a really big, people, people view that as a a really challenging situation around the holidays. Agree. Um, So I love, it's a little bit, it's a little bit played out, but I love a cauliflower steak done well at room temperature is really great. And I honestly just slice mine into slabs and florets fall off the side and I roast the slabs and the florets together. So the florets are going to be much softer and crispier and the slabs are going to be slightly more firm just because they're larger and take longer to cook. So you have this combination of textures and it looks really great. And then you can top it with things like pomegranate. And uh, if you want to use a plant-based cheese, you can, but like, I love to saute garlic, like, and I love to saute garlic and nuts together with a tiny bit of oil. And then you can add something sweet, like a golden raisin or a date or something. And you're essentially making this wildly delicious, highly textured crumble that you could put on top. But then again, doesn't have to be hot. But I'm also making this case that you don't have to have a hot main. You definitely can have a hot main. That's really easy as long as you're not trying to have 7 million things also hot. And if you're doing something like Thanksgiving, let's back, let's think about it from this perspective. So you choose your menu, right? Then you are going to make a written plan for yourself and you are going to work backwards from serving time. So you're going to think about it. And this requires a little bit of math, people. So you may want to leave yourself some time. But for example, a turkey can retain its temperature if it's a larger bird. But most people, first of all, buy a smaller bird, people. If you're serving a ton of people, roast two turkeys and spatchcock them. Do not do a 22-pound turkey. It is going to be so dry and terrible. There's just no way to roast a bird of that size and make it juicy. You can't do it. Um, so I would take, think about your Turkey. It can retain heat, especially if you tent it with foil for a full hour. So that gives you an hour to reheat and finish other things, make your gravy, uh, warm. I tend to get, because you have the oven space back now, I will prep the stuffing or dressing for my Southerners listening. Um, I literally just, (laughs) there was a big debate going on today about (laughs) stuffing versus dressing. Um, Whatever, you know, vegetable sides that you have. I think about what I can do in advance and I will prep every single thing that can be prepped the day before. And honestly, when it comes to entertaining that is not you know, it's not a holiday and you don't have the day before it. This is like what you would do in the morning of the day you were hosting the party. As much stuff that just you can do. So go through every single recipe that you're making and think about what can be done in advance. So your potatoes can be peeled and soaking in water in the fridge. If in my case, I make this stovetop stuffing, but if you're making a true stuffing dressing and there are, there are components that are being added. So in my case, I add sauteed 
uh, apples and onions and sausage, I make that apple onion sausage mixture the day before mm. because then it can be I added love the, to the idea. I feel like I often stuffing. think of it like is advanced prepping making a whole dish in advance, but you're saying no, like you're actually just, just taking portions. component parts. Mm-hmm. That's so really smart. When you go to make your prep list, I divide it into two categories, like done, done ahead and then finishing. So I will prep every single thing, you know, trim the green beans, um, slice the potatoes and get them into the gratin dish. Actually, you can make a potato gratin the day before, as long as you're like very careful that it's fully submerged in liquid and um, you cover it tightly with plastic wrap, but press it onto the actual surface. So I'll do all of these things the day before. And then I get up and I have my prep schedule for the day. And I am somebody, and I, I, I've gotten really good at this too, because I teach virtual cooking classes and you got to do whatever the recipes are in exactly 90 minutes. So you got to backtrack from the end to make sure that you hit certain timestamps. So I will timestamp out the day. If you get off track, no need to panic. <laughs> These are really just benchmarks. So you can look at it and say, all right, at 2 p.m., I'm going to boil and mash the potatoes because we're going to eat at 4.30 and I want to have them semi-fresh and then I will pop them in the oven for 15 minutes to rewarm. If you have the oven space, you can rewarm all the sides in different dishes at once. And keep in mind when you cover things with foil, they do tend to retain heat pretty well. But essentially, you're going to make that prep schedule and you're going to do your best to stick with it. And again, if things go off track, do not worry about it. But the prep schedule and the shopping list are key. Do your shopping days in advance if you can, especially when it comes to the holidays. I try to shop for Thanksgiving the week before because I just do not want to be in a store. And I know a lot of people do grocery delivery too, but God forbid you get the wrong substitution or they leave something out. It's just best to do this as far in advance as possible. And certain things you're going to want to buy relatively fresh. But if anything is, you know, canned milk, things like that, get it get it out of the way so you don't have to think about it. And all of these advanced prep things, you know, not making the full dish, just prepping components, this applies to everything, including your physical self. (laughs) Do as much self prep as you can in advance. So I tend to shower the morning I'm having a party if I can. And I will dry my hair a little bit or I'll just leave it in a wet bun to style it later. But not having to shower is one thing out of the way. Pick your outfit out in advance. There is nothing worse than not knowing what you're going to wear right before guests arrive. Just pick it out. Just pick and it out. And you could do that like a week in advance. Like that's that. one of the ones you could do forever in advance. Yes. This is also my game I play when I can't sleep at night as I just like try on outfits <laughs> in my head. So I usually have I usually have an arsenal ready to pick from. But pick out your outfit. Set the table. Set the table for the love of God. Do it a week in advance if you need to. As I do not know where this came from, and I I maybe made it up myself, in which case I'm very proud of it. But (laughs) for years, I've been saying a naked table is more offensive than a naked host. Honestly, just set the table. When you're setting the table and people arrive, they feel stressed or they feel like they have to ask if they can do it. And this is 100% something that you can do. I do it first thing in the morning when I'm entertaining because you're probably going to need to eat on your table the night before or days before but if you have a separate dining room you fancy fancy like set that table (laughs) like way in advance and then just one more thing not to think about we're trying to take things off our plate and it makes it feel festive you walk in and this table is set you get excited to have a festive meal 
Yes. And the one, these, I'm going to give some tips that are the opposite of what most, what most would think were good entertaining tips, right? Okay. Because I feel like when hit I us, listen us. to Martha or Ina or like anybody who I love and respect in the entertaining department, they're just making things fancier. They're like, make a batch cocktail for what? No, no batch cocktails. Greet people with champagne or ask them what they would like to drink from the bar. Um, if you want to have a batch cocktail, again, make something that can be fully prepped in advance. You are not going to be the person that's sticky and squeezing grapefruit juice fresh, you know, every 30 minutes at your party. That is a terrible idea. Please outsource things. I'm not sure why anybody thinks that it is better to have a full dinner party appetizers, dinner, dessert made from scratch. Nobody knows. And honestly, you're the only one that cares. I despise baking. I despise it. I'm bad at it. And I do not like it. So I always outsource dessert. And we have delicious desserts. I've never had one person complain, but I'll get something local. I'll get local pies at Thanksgiving. There's like a cute bakery down the road that I will sometimes just pick up like, you know, cookies and make cookies and local ice cream. And I'll make ice cream sandwiches occasionally, but I will make, I will buy things and then I will set them out in a festive way. Or I'll just like serve, you know, I'll macerate some strawberries in the summer or peaches or something with a little bit of elderflower or lemon juice and sugar even, and maybe some basil to make it feel fancy and serve it over good vanilla ice cream. People lose their minds. Like you do not need to add three extra hours of baking some thing that honestly might not even taste as good as something that you can outsource. And that's totally fine. Maybe, you know, don't you, there's no need to make something like puff pastry when you can buy perfectly good puff pastry at the store. These are things that I think people feel obligated to do and they feel guilty when they outsource. And I'm not sure where that guilt comes from, but we have to let go of it because <laughs> totally none of us agree. are superhuman and can be making, you know, three to five course meals from scratch solo for multiple people on a regular basis and actually enjoy it. And that's, again, not well, and I, like to your first point, it's about fun. Like, the reason we're doing this all is to have fun. And so if we're not having fun, like, what are we even doing here? You know, I yes. always wonder that when you see like the, the stressed out sweaty hostess, who's just like, li- like literally seems like they're having the worst time. And I'm like, the, the whole point of you doing this whole thing was to have a fun time with people that you love. So how did we end up here? Yes. And the one thing that I always mention when people are like, I get so frazzled and anxious before entertaining. And I always ask, what was the most fun party that you attended that was hosted by friends, not a, a professionally thrown party? and it's always, it's always the parties where something like really funny happened. And a lot of times it's the ones where something went hysterically awry. And I have never hosted any sort of party where something did not go wrong. And all of this is my sort of calm around entertaining is just knowing that the worst case scenario is that dinner sucks. And that's not that bad of a scenario. I think, I mean, it speaks to a human thing, which is that imperfections make people comfortable. And I think that too much perfect makes people actually really uncomfortable and hosting at its core is about making people comfortable. Yes. And feeling 
welcomed and loved is the best possible feeling. And it's not that when somebody is stressed that you feel unloved per se, but you almost do feel unwelcome because you feel like you're burdening them or you're kind of intruding because you can sense that they need to be doing other things and you're sort of in the way, so to speak. And I feel the same way about entertaining that I felt about getting married. And I think that people vibe off of the bride and groom at a wedding and they vibe off the host slash hostess at a party. If you are stressed or upset because something has gone wrong, everybody else is going to feel that for you. I think it's just, that's your, you know, empathy receptors start to go nuts. And that's just a natural reaction. So when something goes wrong, if you have it in you to just take a deep breath and be like, it doesn't matter, then it won't matter to anybody else. And I, I mean, I had a dinner party a couple weeks ago and I forget, I forgot that, you know, I have side-by-side ovens and that is a beautiful thing except that they break all the time and one always runs super hot and I just forgot and I pulled I went to get these two trays of squash out of separate ovens and one was great and the other was burnt and I don't mean like a little burnt like it was smoking the only reason I went to check the oven was because people were like does anybody smell something and (laughs) we ended up having sort of everybody got like three bites of squash instead of a full serving and it was totally fine it just didn't matter. And I think when you get hung up on it or apologize profusely, then it just is awkward for people and they just feel badly. So it's not worth it to beat yourself up um, or to sacrifice having fun. And I think that, you know, as a guest, my one tip too is how do you feel was when people come and they want, they're like, how can I help? Um, I love it. Oh, okay. So this is this is important. <laughs> this is important because I th- I think there are two types of hosts. Oh, there I give people. Hosts... I like will give people assignments left and right. <laughs> is that bad? <laughs> no, that's a good thing because I think people inherently want to be helpful. What I was gonna say is, I'm the type of host that when people want to help, I'm like, no, I have a prep schedule. I'm good. But now you're stressing me out because. I, Maybe you're, if you're I have hovering. a prep schedule in the future, it'll stress me out. But, <laughs> but like, I was gonna say, I was yeah. gonna say, don't if if you're somebody because I think this is, may also be an anxiety thing. Is I feel like when people are like, please let me do something to help, and they really want to help, I'm like, oh god, I have to find you a fucking task, and I'm, I'm really <laughs> like, I, I do not want to think about this right now. I was totally fine. So now I set aside like one or two super menial tasks. Oh, for, that's super for smart. Guests. So I'm like, actually, they can help me out with this and I will not feel stressed or like they might do it wrong or whatever. You know, you're like, oh, yeah, do you want to chop that cilantro over there? I'm going to put it on top of, you know, the salad or whatever. That's it is. super smart. And it's I love helpful. the vibe of like everybody cooking in the kitchen together, which is why I think yes. I get excited when people come and like ask or or I don't wait for them to ask. And I just like come cook with me because <laughs> um, I'm running very behind. And I, yeah, I have a very lackadaisical approach to everything. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. If you know me, you know that I am obsessed with tea. My desk at work used to have at least 20 different types of tea on it at all times, and my coworkers would stop by and be like, oh, I feel a little bloated, or I think I have a cold coming on, and I would give them personalized tea recommendations. 
Now that I work from home, you can be my new coworkers. I am so excited to share one of my favorite tea brands with you, Peak. Peak's teas are really unique. They're extracted by a cold brew crystallization, a super gentle process that preserves active compounds at maximum potential. One of the things that I love most about it is you just get powdered tea, which means you don't need any bags, which can often contain glues and microplastics or loose leaf brewers, which I love, but I use less often than I like because they're honestly so much work. With Peak, you just pour the tea into your cup and give it a little stir. And even cooler, a lot of their blends can be brewed with cold water in addition to hot. I love their ginger digestion elixir, the mint herbal, and the hibiscus beauty elixir. I am also obsessed with their daily radiance liposomal vitamin C. I took it in the weeks leading up to my surgery and religiously every day after because there are studies that show that vitamin C can help with healing. And I do think it was part of the reason that my recovery was so quick. Liposomal vitamin C has a specific encapsulation process that helps the vitamin C actually be delivered to your cells for maximum bioavailability. I also love vitamin C to support healthy immune function and also to help support glowing skin from the inside out. If you've been following my Instagram journey with caffeine, you might have also seen that I have been experimenting with matcha recently. Peak's Sun Goddess Matcha has long been the matcha that I bought for Zach. It's organic ceremonial grade, and quadruple toxin screen for purity. Matcha in general is phenomenally good for you. It helps support skin health, digestion, and it provides a gentle, stress-free energy boost because of its L-theanine content. I've actually really been enjoying the Sun Goddess Matcha Lattes that Zach's been making me some mornings. They don't make me feel jittery or anxious like most caffeine does at all. Peak is currently offering an exclusive bundle to take you step-by-step through creating a healthy skin and energy routine, which includes their Sun Goddess Matcha, Peak Glass Beaker, and two limited-time offer bonus gifts, a handheld frother and detox book worth $45 for free. You can also get an additional 5% off on the bundle or anything else on peaktea.com slash Liz Moody using my code Liz Moody. Again, it's peaktea.com, P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A.com slash Liz Moody with code Liz Moody. I cannot wait for you to try this tea. Now, let's get back to the episode. You mentioned, we've talked like a lot about the stress stuff, but you mentioned your anxiety. And I would like to touch on that a little bit because I do think that a lot of people can have anxiety manifest during this season. And it always feels a little... I don't know, jarring because it's the most wonderful time of the year and you're supposed Uh. to be jovial and jolly. (laughs) And I know that you, like me, really deal with anxiety and have also found a lot of tools for coping. So I'd be curious if you would speak to how it manifests during the holidays and then also your best sort of tools for managing it. So my anxiety, first of all, the way I experience my anxiety is very physical. I am less of, while I also experience sort of cycling thoughts and, you know, social anxiety in that way. I'm not somebody, I'm a very social extroverted person, but, you know, I am haunted by those mistaken hug handshakes from decades ago. (laughs) Those are things that I think about. But I think around the holidays, A, we're socializing so much more. So I, th- I don't think that 
that is a good or bad thing inherently. It's just something to be cognizant of, especially if you are somebody who deals with social anxiety. Um, we're dealing with family a lot more than we're used to. This can be a wonderful thing for some people and a not wonderful thing for others. I think that a lot of family time for, I'm guessing everyone though, if, unless you currently live with your family, is just a lot. And we love our families. I sometimes feel like I'm the worst version of myself with my family. If I'm being really honest, I almost revert back to like my teenage self, which is just terrible. And then I feel guilty and that, and guilt is a big anxiety trigger for me. So it's a whole vicious cycle. But um, I, my biggest coping tools during the holidays, because we are so much busier for me, managing my anxiety is a, take a multi-pronged approach. And there are a lot of things that need to happen for me to be a happy functioning human. Um, and that involves exercising, getting enough sleep, um, making sure that I am getting some nourishing food in addition to the sugar and alcohol that I am consuming in excess during the holidays, which again, I don't think is a bad thing. It's temporary, but I am aware that sugar, alcohol, and caffeine are very strong triggers for my anxiety. So just being mindful of at the very least putting good things in my body as well is very helpful. Um, and really maximizing the hydration because I am drinking more. Um, but, and reading is a big help for me. CBD, magnesium, different supplements. I for think the family all, thing specifically, is yeah. there anything that you do when like, I know that you are, are you guys going to Maine for? No, we're actually, so my husband Logan and I trade off with like holidays. So one year we do Thanksgiving with his family, then the next year Christmas and WAP. Um, so we're out in Sag Harbor for Thanksgiving and then we're with his parents for Christmas. And I love his parents, but I will be in a different, they live in, oh, Liz, this is the glamping situation. They oh, live in Driggs, Idaho. I'm so jealous of this. <laughs> which, I'm like, I'm like, how do I get them to adopt me? Ever since I heard about this, I was like, hello. the most beautiful location, but there's something about being on somebody else's turf. Yeah. That is a big anxiety trigger. For well, I was going to ask that. So how do you deal with the family stuff specifically when you're either doing like a big family thing with your family, which is a large, very multifaceted family with a lot of personalities or when you're with your in-laws and then you're sort of a, not like a stranger, but like you're, you're, right. yeah, you're not on your own turf. How do you navigate that? Uh, one communication, I know this is super uncomfortable for a lot of people, but I found that telling people upfront when I need some alone time never has a bad outcome. And I think it's all about how you phrase it. And I am lucky that I, I mean, I just really enjoy talking about anxiety. It's one of my favorite subjects. I don't talk about it a ton, but I, I talk about it a ton professionally. And so therefore it's had this wonderful trickle down effect where like my in-laws and, you know, my family and whatever are, are aware that I I'm dealing with anxiety. So if I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm feeling a little anxious, I'm going to, you know, take a time out for 10 minutes, an hour, whatever it is. It, nobody cares, but you also don't have to say that you're anxious. You can just be like, I'm going to go, you know, whatever. Sometimes it's just, I'm going to go take a shower. And like, do you need to take a 45 minute shower? No. 
But <laughs> I but feel like can. that's how every man in my life uses pooping. You're like, did you need to poop for two and a half hours? And they're like, sure <laughs> did. <laughs> but that's the thing is, I mean, I have definitely just left and gone and sat down on top of the toilet, like, you know, with like the lid down, like fully clothed and just taken a moment. I have to say, though, even when you say to somebody, I would love like a little bit of me time, I would love to just do a chiller afternoon reading. I feel like we've been go, go, go. I've always found that that's not only not meant negatively, but it's often meant really positively because often the other person wants the exact same thing. I find this on group trips, too. Like when you're like, let's just spend the afternoon apart or the afternoon reading or something like that. And they've wanted the exact same thing, but they've Mm -hmm. been too nervous to say it because they didn't want to offend me. Yes. And I have that experience all the time. And I think that during the holidays, it is also okay to say no to things. And it's really hard. I'm not belittling how difficult it is. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at being like, no, you are not capable of going to seven holiday parties this week. That is unnecessary. It will not bring you joy. And also depends on the type of event. It's one thing if you're being invited over by your best friends and it's a small gathering. If it's a huge party, nine times out of 10, the host's not going to know you're there. (laughs) So it's not the end of the world if you are not present and accounted for at all holiday events. Um, But I think it's just like when we're going through a busy phase at work or with our families, just life-wise, that is when we need our anxiety management tools the most. And it's typically when we let them fall by the wayside because we're like, I do not have time to work out. I do not have time to, you know, take a walk. I don't have time to sleep for as, you know, seven hours or however long we're supposed to sleep. I think I have a warm percentage. So whatever it is, um, we tend to let those things just go. And I have found that when I actually make those things a must do during the holidays, I feel so much better. And I'm somebody, and I know you do this too. Like I'm not somebody who needs to do an hour long workout. Even just five minutes of movement is going to help my anxiety that day. And then also and it doing counts. it. Like and I it always, it, it's, it's something I had to t- literally trick or train or something. I had to force myself to believe that doing a five minute meditation, a five minute workout literally counts. It changes your body. It makes you feel better. It doesn't need to be long to, I don't even know what counting means, but I have this like need <laughs> for the time to count and it does count. One. 1000%. It counts so much. And it's also cumulative. When I go through because I was the same way that you were. It's also how I got away with not exercising consistently until I was 30 years old. <laughs> it's just like, I don't have time to do a full hour. So I'm just not going to do it. And I said that to myself for decades. So I now find that a consistent five to 30 minutes on a great day, multiple days a week, just my overall anxiety levels are lower. And I also think that it's, as I get older, I'm more aware too of my anxiety triggers. So it's the blessing of the curse. <laughs> um, but I do know that when I feel really anxious after a string of holiday parties, I'm like, well, you've been 
not sleeping much, you've been hyper social, and you've been drinking more than you usually do. So yes, you feel anxious. No, you're not a bad person. I think there is this sort of good and bad paradigm that exists too, because those of us with anxiety who have found tools that are helpful to manage it, then feel like if we are not super rigid and we do not work all of our tools all the time, or we do something that we know is not great for our anxiety, then it's our own fault that we feel anxious. And I just think that that is a very unfair mindset. And it's not, I'm a self, I I love to self-flagellate and I've really worked on that over the years. Like, and that very common cliche, you know, don't talk to yourself the way that it like unless you would say the same thing to your best friend and it it is a trope but it's I mean it's true I I would not sit my best friend down and be like yeah I can't believe you didn't do your workout today you didn't do your workout what's wrong with you I cannot believe you ate seven ginger molasses cookies and you had three glasses of champagne like you know exactly you'd be like oh my god fun party let's go for a walk together today you know exactly and it's really I'm I'm a big reframe person so we get to celebrate the holidays we may not feel great and also please for the love of god do not feel like January 1st is when you're going to like clean up your act. Like you don't have to make any changes to yourself on January 1st if you don't want to. But I also think that is a very dangerous mentality being like, I'm going to fucking blow it out in the next (laughs) three weeks because come January 1st, I'm going to be a new year, new me. Like it's just be mindful. Don't beat yourself up about things and take time for you when you need it without any guilt or shame attached. Well, I wanted to talk about that super briefly because I am, you mentioned, you know, fitting the nourishing in between the heavier meals, the drinking, stuff like that. How do you kind of, do you have any secrets to fitting in the, the green stuff and the stuff that makes us feel really good in between all of the stuffing and champagne? Yes. So um, I like to make, I'm not a big meal prep person, but I do like to have a few things on hand, especially during the holidays. And we have a few weeks right now. Actually, I'm not sure when this is going to air, Liz, but we have a couple weeks before the madness hits. So what I always do whenever I'm making something that freezes well, that is delicious and nutritious, I will double the recipe so that I, or even triple it so that I can keep it in the freezer. So if I'm making something like a big chicken soup or a minestrone or something like that, where I'm like, oh, I can just pop this in the freezer and then defrost it whenever I want. That is very helpful to have on hand. Massaged kale salad, love them, especially during the winter. Like I love a massage kale salad with Brussels sprouts and pomegranate, something like that, that you can make. Like I'm talking Brussels sprouts, pomegranate, Miss Kale, really simple dressing. I will send you a recipe for this, Liz, if you'd like. But like, I just keep that base in the fridge because then throughout the week, you could throw some roasted vegetables in it. You could throw chicken on top or a piece of salmon. You could add some goat cheese or feta, nuts that you have on hand, but you have this base ready. So that, and that's the prep intensive part. And that would really only take 20, 30 minutes to prep anyway. But a massage kale salad lasts solid five days in the fridge. So you could, I, in theory, set yourself up with that for the week. I know you do a lot of smoothies. 
I am also somebody who likes to make batch oatmeal if I can. Like I'll just make a batch. It's not great on day three, but it's very easy to warm up and, you know, loosen it with a little bit of extra milk of your choice or even water um, and add toppings. Smoothies are really easy ways for me to get in some, if I know that I'm just going to have a wild day. I know you feel the same way. Like I love to get a smoothie in first thing. And then at least I know I've done something good for my body. Yeah. Even on like actual Thanksgiving day, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have a smoothie in the morning and it just makes me feel so much better. Um, I just feel more energetic. I feel, I, yeah, I feel like I've had all my veggies and I feel good about that. Can you leave us with, you mentioned earlier, like nobody's going to remember, you know, the very specific hosting stuff that we all, we all stress about. Could you leave us with one thing that you think people will remember with hosting, like a little fun touch or something that somebody could add to the party or even bring to the party if they're a guest, whether it's a a real thing, a physical thing or a more ephemeral thing that people would remember that would actually have an additive bonus? Something fun to do at the end of dinner. Um, And this kind of depends on what type of people you are. It sounds sort of very touchy-feely, which is hilarious because it's a very raunchy household. But I've never found somebody who doesn't love this game. And if you do it really late in the evening, or especially if you go on a trip and you're spending a few days together, um, doing, we call it high, higher, highest. And this was several years ago, friends introduced it to us at the end of dinner one night. It's essentially like highs and lows of your day, your week, the evening, however you want to play it. And you just don't say the lows, but it it essentially is just a lovely way where people are like, I, you know, the high of dinner was so-and-so's joke about X. The higher was the whatever whatever mishap happened during cocktail hour. The highest was getting to spend quality time with you guys after a year apart, whatever it is. These are all, it's all very subjective, but it's really sweet. The The other thing is if it's somebody's birthday, we just play the compliment game where you make everybody go around the table and compliment. My favorite it game. Is, and it's so much fun. <laughs> I love it so much. It's truly one of my favorite games for our Thanksgiving. We always go around the table and everybody says one thing that they're grateful for. And I feel like we remember that so much more than any other component of the meal every single year. And if you like texting someone the day after texting the host and saying, I really loved X, whatever that may be, maybe it's food, maybe it was the candles, maybe it was the a joke that they told, but something specific about the night that always makes me feel really loved when somebody sends me something good after the fact. I love that. Can you just remind us all where everybody can find you on the internet? Yes, you can find me uh, on Instagram at Serena G. Wolf or on my website, which is domesticate-me.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Serena. Thank you. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. We're all on the lookout for perfect gifts this season. And one of my favorite things to gift is thoughtful home items. Giving a hostess a small plant or a candle will provide hours more of enjoyment than cut flowers or a bottle of wine, and it feels so magical to bring that cozy bit of joy into someone's home. If you're looking for the perfect place to get unique, thoughtful gifts this holiday season, I highly recommend Modern Sprout. 
Modern Sprout is a small Chicago-based company that basically makes it super easy for you to bring more plants into your life. Oprah selected their products twice for her favorite things list, and they've been featured on the Today Show and in Food and Wine, Real Simple, Architectural Digest, and more. They basically make it super easy for even people who completely lack green thumbs to grow their own herbs or decorative plants with their hydroponic systems, which basically make it so that you can forget to water your plants or overwater them and they won't die. Seriously, they look chic and cute like normal planters, but they make the plants unkillable. It is genius. This year, they're also launching really thoughtfully bundled gift sets featuring accessories and tools for crafting a botanical lifestyle. They have three varieties, the plant parent, which comes with these gorgeous black plant tweezers, soil scoop, plant dusting brush, and all natural plant nutrients. Perfect for any plant enthusiast. Then the Growing Gourmet Kit comes with a self-watering basil grow kit, pruning shears, a tea towel with tips for using herbs, and an herb pull and pinch dish. Perfect for a culinary enthusiast who would love a countertop herb garden. And then the last one I think is so fun. It's called the Garden Party, and it's basically a bundle for anyone who loves those herbaceous, garden-fresh, fancy mixology cocktails, my favorite kind. It has a self-watering rosemary grow kit, citrus reamer, jigger, and glass infusion bottle. They're all purposely designed with plastic-free packaging, and even better, on Black Friday, you can get 30% off any of the bundles and everything else on modsprout.com. They also have some gorgeous, botanically-inspired candles, plenty of those unkillable plants that I mentioned, and more. This is their biggest sale of the year. 30% off is honestly kind of bananas, so head over to modsprout.com on Black Friday and Cyber Monday to stock up on all of your holiday gifts, including maybe a few for yourself. Again, that's modsprout.com, and the Black Friday discount will be automatically applied at checkout. Now, let's get back to the episode. All right, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You've been on the podcast before. I think we had you on a morning and evening routine episode, right? Yes, Liz. And I'm so excited to be back. Thank you so much for having me. It's, I'm just really happy to share what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I'm really, you're, you've educated. It's so funny. So my mom's a Jew and I was raised going to Hebrew school and stuff like that, but I really haven't, my family's not that immersed in all of the knowledge that your family is. And we're obviously a lot more sort of like cultural Jews and all of that. And I've learned so much from your stories. So I'm really excited about that. But before we get into Hanukkah and Jewish food traditions, which are one of my favorite parts of the culture, um, I would love to hear just a little bit about who you are and what your food philosophy is. Yeah. So um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Sarah. I'm the blogger behind The Cutting Veg um, by night. And actually, uh, I'm also part-time a PhD student um, studying economics, specifically healthcare economics. I Part of my food philosophy is that I want to make eating vegetables healthy and accessible to people. I think too often we look at healthy eating and healthy living as like really expensive. And I just really want to make sure that people know that, hey, if even if you don't have a lot of money or you think that a healthy lifestyle is out of reach, it's not. You can totally make some swaps and some changes that will make you feel your best self and eat a little healthier and make eating, you know, veggies and all kinds of stuff a little bit more interesting. I love too when you bring in the economics and of like how it impacts health and how we eat and all of that because you understand it on such a deep 
level and can explain it sometimes via dance, you know, which is how I want everything explained to me. Oh, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, you know, economics, especially health economics, you know, it most of the time it talks about, you know, the, the more of like the hospital and healthcare setting as we know it there. But there's so much that we can talk about on like the supplement side and like the providing uh, vegetables and fruits and making that accessible on that economic side that I think is really important. And I love being able to integrate that with the people in my community. I love that too. All right. So start us off with like, how does Hanukkah sit for you? I've heard different perspectives on like, it's not really that important of a holiday in the Jewish faith or Jewish cultural heritage, but we've elevated it because, you know, we wanted kids to not feel left out around Christmas. And I've heard other people say that it is more important. So how does that sit for you and your family and how you perceive the the tradition and the cultural and religious heritage? Yeah. So I think Hanukkah for me, there's like different tiers of Jewish holidays. Um, I think there's a miscon there's like multiple misconceptions, right? There's two stories. So on the one hand, you know, people put Hanukkah and Christmas a lot of times as equal holidays, and that's not necessarily true. Um, the most important Jewish holidays are the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, as well as Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. We ask for forgiveness for our sins. Um, Passover, I would consider to be up there. But Hanukkah isn't also not a non-important holiday at all. Um, I would consider it there. I would think of uh, Jewish holidays on three tiers. I would say Hanukkah is like a tier two. So it's important. It's just, you know, it's it's a holiday that came about later. Um, it came about uh, during, you know, Greco- Greek times. Um, so it was a holiday that was founded later um, prior to like ancient Judaism. But that's how I always I now I have to say if there are Jews out there who maybe know more than I do. That that might be one thing. My experience is I went to Hebrew school till I was like 16. So this is like all coming from that from that knowledge. But yeah, that, that's kind of my understanding of it from from that education. Tell me about some of the food traditions for your Hanukkah celebrations. Yeah, so I, I'll talk first about the more traditional stuff. And then my family actually does things a little bit differently because uh, we like to be a little bit unique. Um, so. Traditionally, because the story of Hanukkah revolves around oil, so part of this miracle of Hanukkah is uh, that there were these Jewish uh, warriors called the Maccabees, and they were fighting against the Greeks that like wanted to take them over. The Maccabees beat the Greeks, but the Greeks destroyed the temple, the Jewish temple. And there was a menorah that is traditionally lit for Jewish comings and goings and there was no and the story goes is that there was only enough oil the greeks had only left enough oil for one night to light the menorah but the menorah needed to be lit and for for multiple multiple times and and it's part of the jewish religion so the the miracle goes that the oil for one night actually lasted eight nights which is why there are eight nights of hanukkah so it's to remind us that every day you know of the the miracle that happened And so because it revolves around the story of oil, Hanukkah revolves around the tradition of eating fried foods. So in in our experience, uh, the two foods that most people think of are latkes, which are basically like shredded. I love latkes so much. They are, they're They're so so good. good. And people make make them all different ways. Some people make them kind of like a McDonald's hash brown or just buy like a McDonald's hash brown and eat them that way. Some people like my dad, 
We'll shred them on a box grater and then fry them with like scallions and uh, things. And it's great because basically what you do is you just put a blob of it in a cast iron pan of this potato mixture and you flatten it. And so the edges get all lacy and crispy when they're frying. And it's so heavenly. And traditionally, they're served with either sour cream or applesauce or both. So that's like one of the more traditional foods. Um, now Trader Joe's has like these cauliflower latkes that like people absolutely love if you're not a potato person. And as a Trader Joe's lover myself, I've had them and they're very, they're very delicious. Okay. But like, who is not a potato person and why are they listening to this podcast? No, I know. Seriously. Like they're pretty, those people pretty ridiculous. But what I'm saying is, is if there are some people who are like, Hey, I'm not a big fan of potatoes. I'm going to eat. And I'm also into all things cauliflower because cauliflower is so. Wait, so you said there was another main fried food? Yes. So the other main fried food is called sufkanyot. Now, sufkanyot are donuts, and they're traditionally filled with jelly, either like a raspberry or strawberry jam. Actually, last year during like the height of the uh, the pandemic, I went around Philadelphia where I live, and I tried one different sufkanyot for eight different days. Yeah, and it's just... I, yeah. And there's always a, there's always a, I guess, a fight between whether or not you like powdered sugar on your sucanyot or if you like, like crystallized, um, paint, like, like granulated, granulated sugar. sugar. Yeah. 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 And I, where do you fall? I'm a hundred percent a granulated sugar person. Really? I yes. feel like I would, I would, I don't, I haven't like compared them as rigorously as you have, but my heart would say powdered. Oh, well, see, for me, it's all about that texture. You know how you put like Maldon sea salt on like, and it adds that texture. That for me is the granulated sugar. And growing up, there was a bakery and it was called, if you're from South Jersey, you know it. It's called Chester's Pastry Pantry Bakery. And we would get both jelly donuts, like the big ones. And they also would make jelly donut minis, like little tiny jelly donuts, like donut holes stuffed with Mm. jelly. And they're amazing. Also, there's a, there's a, not a controversy, but like there's a debate (laughs) among the Jews of whether strawberry or raspberry jam is the best in a sufganyot. And raspberry, 100% for me, is the winner there. Okay, so my heart would say strawberry. So we're kind of like, we're opposite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're in Philly, you 100% then would love uh, Dottie's Donuts. They do a vegan sufganyot that's strawberry oh. with powdered sugar. You would absolutely love it. Heaven. Okay, wait. So how does, those are the two sort of traditional foods. How does your family do your unique spin on that? After a couple years of eating latkes and sufganyot, like year after year after year, my aunt, who's also a big cook. And my dad, who is where I basically learned my love of cooking, got together and they thought, how can we make this a little bit different and make it a little bit less boring? And what we figured out is every cuisine has fried food. And so why don't we every year pick a different cuisine and we use that as the template for dinner every one night when we, my aunt comes and visits. So I think the first time we did it is we had um, Indian Hanukkah. So, and, and we call it like Indian Hanukkah, Japanese Hanukkah, Italian Hanukkah. Oh my so, God, I love yeah, that. Yeah, so we would do for Indian Hanukkah, we did pakora, we did samosas, like traditionally fried foods like that. Uh, we've done Italian Hanukkah where we do arancini and chicken parmesan and like all of these different fried Italian foods. Uh, we've done Japanese Hanukkah, which is like tempura and like that kind of stuff. And every year we just, it, it's always like fun to try and like pick out a new, like a new cuisine to try. 
I think this year, I'm trying to remember because like we've been going back and forth. I think we're doing English Hanukkah and doing fish and chips. Ooh, um, fun. Yes. Yeah. So like cod and breading it and frying it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Hanukkah is what you make it. I know there's a tradition around presents and like different people have different traditions around like how they give gifts because, you know, giving gifts for eight nights is a lot for a lot of people. And so p- different people have different traditions. So we were kind of thinking, how can we do a spin on the food tradition, especially as a family who loves to cook different things? So we've talked about a lot of fried food, which I love deeply in my soul, but you're also about sort of that nourishment, the vegetables and all of that. So I'm curious about your general approach to the holiday season. Do you try to healthify things like latkes or sufganyot, or are you like, I'm going to eat those and fit in other vegetables and things that make me good, make me feel good around that? Or are you just like, I'm just going to throw like all care to the wind and eat all fried stuff for months and just be (laughs) happy in that world too. I don't come at that at this in the context of, okay, latkes, potatoes fried in oil, are they necessarily the healthiest thing? No. So I'm going to try and make them healthier. I do. I, I love enjoying the holiday foods for what they are in the season. I will eat a jelly donut any time of year, but if I have an excuse to eat a jelly donut, I will. I will say though that especially like in addition to trying to make Hanukkah a little bit more interesting by diversifying the different cuisines, I will say that we've tried different ways to make latkes interesting that I guess one could say they're healthier, but I just do it because I think it would taste good. So for example, we do sweet potato latkes, we do carrot latkes. We do broccoli fritters, which you could say are broccoli latkes. Like, so, but it's still the same idea of taking the vegetable and frying it in oil. I know some people do use an air fryer, but my parents, I don't think that they believe in an air fryer. So we just do it the old fashioned way. And my dad's like 30 year old cast iron skillet. And, you know, you have latkes. It's a great time. You're with family. For me, that's what it's all about. Getting, you know, a lot of times the Jewish holidays center around family getting together and eating a lot of really good food. And so for me, that is the importance of the day. And I just kind of take it as that and, you know, have a good time. I don't know if this is completely appalling, but I bake my latkes and fritters and I do, I'll base, and I don't do it to be healthier. I literally just do it because I I find the most tedious part of frittering to be standing over the pan and like putting in new ones and then flipping them out. And so when you bake it, I just do a parchment lined sheet pan and then I'll pour like avocado oil on it. Let that in like just a thin layer. So it's not like incredibly dangerous. I'll heat that up in the oven and then I'll put all of my latkes on there and then flip them and brush them again with some oil. So you're still getting that sort of fried energy, but it's just then you're done. Then the whole batch is done because you've just done it all in a sheet pan. And I find it so much simpler. Ooh, that's actually a great idea. Especially, I love that idea, especially because when you're cleaning up oil splatter after frying, it is probably the one of the worst job, cleaning jobs you can do in the kitchen. Also, I forgot to mention one of the most important parts of Hanukkah is that there's gelt involved, which is like chocolate coins. And I remember as a kid um, in Hebrew school, they would do candy sales, kind of similar, I think, like in, during Christmas. I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of not involved in that culture. But with, we would sell like different Jewish Jewish candy. Like you have chocolate-covered matzah, and you'd have chocolate-covered jelly, and chocolate-covered marshmallow. 
And it was kind of like as a way to raise money for the Hebrew school. But Gelt, it's supposed to remind us of like the coins that, you know, the Jews use like around that same time of um, when the Greeks invaded. And you play dreidel with it, which is that traditional game where you have the little top and you spin. And the idea is, is that you win um, gelt or the chocolate coins when you're as you're playing this game. Yeah, the one Hanukkah song I feel like is is the dreidel song. Like Christmas has like four thousand songs, oh, and yeah. then there's everybody knows the one Hanukkah song about um, your little dreidel that's made out of clay. It's so funny you say that because someone just sent me a meme yesterday about like why doesn't Hallmark make a Hanukkah movie? And they were explaining the plot of like how the woman is like searching for her spouse over the course of eight days, which I found thought was hilarious. Oh, so that's like, genius! Right, right, and it's like, come on, Hallmark, like where are my royalties for that idea? Please make it into a movie. Yes. yes. Oh my gosh. Somebody, I know some people at Hallmark. Let's like, let's get this started. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> There's way too many Christmas movies. We definitely need a Hanukkah movie in there. And also, I just don't think anybody was like, let's limit the amount of holiday movies. Like more holiday movies is better. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, I mean, you have that audience that you need to capture. Like you have just a whole bunch of Jews waiting for their their holiday movie for sure. A hundred percent. So is there anything that you do during the holiday season while, you know, we're partying, we're drinking, we're eating a lot. Do you have things you intersperse to feel grounded and healthy and happy, whether that's you know, meditation or a type of workout or a certain food that you like to mix in or anything like that? Yeah, I think for me, it's all about, you know, maintaining my routine and keeping a routine within the holiday season. So that for me, I love to work out in the mornings. So I try, I mean, and I do this all year round. It's not because, you know, oh no, like the new year's coming up. I need to get that all ready to go. For me, it's it helps me stay grounded. So I, I work out four to five times a week, whether that's running, whether that's doing like a like a strength training. I love the strength training classes on YouTube. Like during the beginning of the pandemic, I was so hooked on those. And yeah, and it's just so easy. And who's free. your favorite? Sydney Cummings, hundred percent. Sydney Cummings is great. She's amazing. And I also I tend to I look. I think a lot of times when I think about should I sweat eating a healthy diet versus the anxiety and stress that I get, um, worrying about if everything I put in my body is healthy, what is going to be a better outcome for me and my body? I think that sometimes the stress of worrying about eating healthy all of the time is worse for our overall well-being than the food itself. And so for me, during the holiday season, I try to keep myself my diet balanced just because I know that's what's going to make my body feel good. But if I'm like, at a, at a party for my graduate program, a holiday party, and I take an extra glass of champagne or an extra glass of wine more than I'm used to. That's fine. Like it, it, it's the holiday season. I don't sweat it too much. And honestly, it's like really, really fun when Wharton, uh, where I go to school, pays for all of our food. So I just take full advantage of it. You're like putting donuts into your purse. You're like, thank you so much, Wharton. Oh, I'm paying you enough money for these. I was that person in college. I, w- I am that person in grad school and I will be that person probably <laughs> forever. Okay, last one. And it's not food related, but I am curious. You are currently an active dater, but you're not in any sort of long-term relationship right now. How do you find navigating the holidays without a partner? Because I know this can be sort of a harder time of year for people in that mode. And you seem like you deal with it very emotionally, resiliently and positively. So I'm curious if you have any words of wisdom in that space. 
Yeah, I think for me, so I started this journey that you're talking about towards, I would say the end of August of just like dating people and trying to keep things, you know, trying to try different types of people and see what's a good fit for me. For me, what I find keeps my anxiety the lowest regarding dating is taking one day at a time and not setting myself up with any expectations. I think I think I made a meme about this earlier in the year about meeting someone once and then projecting all of my future prospects of years and years and years on one person. And, and that's not fair. And it creates a lot of expectations. So for me, you know, as long as I'm putting myself out there and taking one day at a time, that's all I can ask of myself. I also try to surround myself with a lot of my friends who are single, who are also going through the same things and just trying to plan and be as out there as possible during this time, I think for me is what makes me uh, grounded, especially seeing all the couples around and dealing with all of those emotions that can be really hard for us this time of year. I just really uh, try to enjoy this time of year, especially because because it's getting darker earlier. It can feel a little bit sad. Um, And so just trying to take in all of the all of the fun and the light and the excitement that happens during this time of year, I think is what helps keep me grounded. Yeah, I love that. Okay, well, you said at the beginning that you're all about helping people fit veggies into their life. So maybe you can leave us with one veggie rich meal that's really either super fast and easy to prep or that's very easy to make ahead of time. So when we want that go-to dose of vegetables, we can always have that on hand. Oh, I am a soup person. It is soup season, y'all. It's soup is one of those things that you can make in the middle, in the beginning of the week and have it all week long. And you can also freeze portions of it so that when you're stressed, when you go to a holiday party and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm starving. I don't know what to eat. I've been eating cheese all night, which nothing wrong with eating cheese all night. But sometimes you want something that's going to keep you grounded and make you and, you know, satisfy you. For me, I recently have made this carrot sesame soup. Um, it's from The First Mess, uh, Laura's blog. And it's this, it's got tahini, it's got sesame oil, it has uh, tamari. And it's got carrots, which is like carrots are so cheap and so plentiful this time of year. It's just a really nice nourishing soup. Personally, I think there there are two camps of people, right? There are people who love smooth soups and people who love chunk soups. I am a chunk soup person, 100%. I need that texture in there. I also forgot to mention the soup has red lentils. So there's like plenty of protein. Um, And as a vegetarian, like I want to make sure that I'm getting some sort of protein in whatever I'm eating. But yeah, I mean... I will, because I'm a graduate student also, I'm very busy. So I love having soups. Plus soups are one of those leftovers that never tastes worse or gets weird. They get better. They honestly get a hundred percent better. And it's like, I have, my dad used to do this when I was a kid making soup every week. And I've just kind of taken that tradition and applied it to my own life. And it's honestly made eating uh, healthier and getting more nourishment and more vegetables in during this time of year a lot easier. I love it. Well, where can people find you? If Are you going to do another Sufganyot crawl? I should. If the people, hey, if the people want to, you should DM me and let me know. Um, I'm at the cutting veg on Instagram. So all one word, none of this like underscore period, whatever. Um, and and I also have a blog, thecuttingvegblog.com um, where all my recipes are. I haven't posted there in quite a bit because graduate school with my dissertation has been a little bit uh, intense lately. But I have a lot of recipes that are veggie forward and delicious that you can check out over there. So 
Amazing. Well, thank you, Sarah, and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Hanukkah. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom with us. Thanks, Liz. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. You all already know that I am obsessed with these. They have been my trail and life companion for literally years. I honestly don't think that I have taken a single hike in the last maybe three years without a Go Macro Bar. I also have one in my purse at all times. They are so delicious, and they're one of the only bars out there that actually makes me feel full and not a sugar-high jittery. We will get into my favorite flavors in a second, and I have very strong feelings about this. But first, a bit about Go Macro. They're a mother-daughter-owned company, which I love, and all of their products are made with 100% renewable energy and sustainably sourced ingredients, which I quite possibly love even more. Macro bars are made from 100% plant-based ingredients, and they're certified organic, vegan, gluten-free, kosher, non-GMO, clean, raw, and soy-free. They also have three nut-free flavors, including oatmeal chocolate chip, maple sea salt, and sunflower butter and chocolate, and nine certified FODMAP-friendly flavors. So no matter what your dietary needs are, you can find a bar for you. Okay, let's talk about flavors. I am truly obsessed, truly obsessed with the oatmeal chocolate chip. It has these like little oat flecks in it that are kind of crunchy and so satisfying. I like crave these. I would choose to eat one for dessert if it was on the menu at a restaurant. My other favorite is the double chocolate with the peanut butter chips because the peanut butter chips are life-giving. And Zach, of course, likes, you guessed it, the mocha one. Truly, these bars have ruined most other bars for me. If you want to try Go Macros macro bars for yourself, you can get a whopping 30% off your order of $50 or more plus free shipping by going to gomacro.com and using the code HEALTHIERTOGETHER. Again, that is gomacro.com and the code is HEALTHIERTOGETHER. They are so perfect to have on hand throughout the holiday season so that you are never caught hangry when you're traveling we're bouncing around to different events. Again, that is gomacro.com and the code is healthier together. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, Shanika, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, right in the middle of all of your book launch hubbub. It's, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's a very crazy time in any cookbook author's life. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Can you just introduce yourself to my audience and tell us a little bit about kind of like who you are, what you do, and what your cooking philosophy is? Sure. So hi, everyone. I'm Shanika, and I am the recipe developer behind Orchids and Sweet Tea. I'm now a cookbook author. And I, I honestly, my cooking philosophy is just eating good while feeling good, but at the same time being healthy. Um, So my blog, Orchids and Sweet Tea, is a food and lifestyle blog. And I pretty much am just trying to get people comfortable in the kitchen and letting them know that although you're trying to eat healthier, I try to keep things in terms of comfort when it comes to food. Um, I'm from the South and I have a Jamaican background. So everything about those two is all about comfort, delicious flavors, bold flavors. So I try to keep that within like the healthy regime. (laughs) Are there any like Southern or Jamaican holiday traditions that you either integrate into your own holiday celebrations or that you put like a fun, I know you're, you're big on your twists where you kind of do a cool twist or take on something. Are there any Jamaican or Southern traditions or foods that you do that with for the holidays? 
Yeah. So in the Jamaican culture, Christmas, there's something called like black cake. So it's like basically rum cake made out of rum. That's something that I love to like upkeep as a part of my tradition. Um, But Southern wise, definitely like, especially for Thanksgiving, like the mac and cheeses, the cornbreads, the collard greens, all that good stuff. I definitely try to keep and kind of do my spins on them, whether I veganize them or just use like healthier ingredients. Okay. So you don't eat any gluten or dairy, right? Though, is that correct still? No. So I do, but I just mostly don't. So I know that a lot of people think that I'm fully vegan, but no, I do. But I just try to minimize it a lot. And you stopped eating gluten or dairy after you had your babies to like balance your hormones. Is that correct? Yes. So that's correct. So after having my son, like about six years ago, I realized that like my body really just had a hard time digesting dairy and gluten. Um, And I think that was just a lot lot based on hormones. So I just, after like going to the doctor, trying to figure it out, and there was really no solution because it's hormonal. um, I just started doing research and realized, ah, I didn't realize that food actually like affected a lot more of your body, um, especially when it came to hormones. That's something I didn't grow up having conversations about. In my household, like food was just something that you consumed. It wasn't like all this extra education that we learn now about like hormonals, how it affects your hormones, your mental health, all these things. So after researching and realizing like, oh, these are two things that people have kind of linked to like hormonal imbalance. I was like, okay, so let me just experiment and test it out. And then after testing it out, I realized like, oh, my symptoms were like extremely minimized. And then I just kind of went on that bandwagon. Do you have any tips with people who have specific dietary preferences over the holidays? Like, are you a person, if somebody doesn't want to kind of accommodate a bunch of different dietary preferences, but they still want to keep in mind that people have different needs, do you have any tips for navigating that? Honestly, my tip is to make like a list of what you want to make. And then let's say there's like, you know, five sides maybe doing two of them that have dietary restrictions and then the other three not. Just to kind of like include whoever you're making it for that has a dietary restriction. That's like my biggest tip. Do you do plant-based mains for your holidays or do you do a mix of mains? Um, Yes, I do a mix because my family, they don't eat (laughs) plant-based. And so I try to kind of like introduce it to them. So I do do a mix. What do you do for your plant-based main? Um, so one of my favorites, well, two of my favorites, actually. Um, I like to do like a vegan Wellington, which I recently redid that on my blog. And I made it out of like chickpea and black beans um, and then like veggies inside. And then my other one is like a roasted cauliflower, the whole cauliflower, because it kind of reminds you of like a roast. Oh, yum. Yeah, I love I love a whole roasted cauliflower for sure. Are there ingredients that you always keep on hand during this time of year to help with the healthy holiday meal prep? Oh, absolutely. Um, (laughs) I definitely keep a lot of um, gluten-free flours. So like oat flour, uh, gluten-free blend flour, which is a lot easier to use for people who are kind of like intimidated. I use, I definitely keep nutritional yeast because that's really great for like cheesier flavors, bold flavors. 
I love keeping stocks, whether that's like chicken or veggie stocks, because those are like, I feel like staples in a lot of dishes. Are there ingredients that you keep on hand for those in between the big holiday meals, but like stuff that instantly just feels like you're infusing your body with goodness and you can like get your energy back, get your gut health, get your hormones back and check in between those big holiday meals? One of my definitely main go-tos is teas. Um, I either make them from scratch, like let's say ginger, lemon, or I would actually have like a ton of tea bags. Teas are definitely like my go-to for those in-betweens. I do like a lot of detox drinks or waters. Definitely love using bone broth when needed for like soups or you can kind of drink it warm if that's like your thing. I love it. I started drinking bone broth because I got surgery recently and um, it it was the only thing I could really consume for a while because I was super, super, super nauseous. But it felt I did it leading up to surgery and then after surgery and then it it's helped my recovery, I think, so much. And it just feels so like grounding and nourishing. And you can swap it in for like stock in any rice or right. soup yeah. or something like that, which is amazing. Yes, yes. And I think my other thing is also, um, I love apple cider vinegar. I don't know if people (laughs) really are into consuming that, but sometimes what I do is like a little mixture of like, like one to two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar with honey, which actually is like a great like antioxidant, anti-inflammatory mixture that I just, and you kind of just drink it like that. Um, maybe it might be a little strong for some people, but you can kind of like mix a little mini lemonade and then add your apple cider vinegar in it. Um, yeah, that's I definitely, love, yeah. I think apple cider <laughs> vinegar with like a little bit of, um, like honey and cinnamon tastes mm-hmm. a lot like a warm apple cider to me. You yeah. Know, it's, it's <laughs> very reminiscent of that sort of vibe, the fall, the fall energy. Right. Yes. Yeah. What so about- I feel like those are the, my staples. What about drinking? How do you approach drinking during the holiday season? Um, so <laughs> I actually don't drink. I consume a ton of mocktails and that's kind of why I'm really like adamant about creating mocktails because I know that cocktails are like so readily available, right? Like when you go and you Google that, like there's probably a million and one. Um, but I feel like mocktails kind of get kind of tucked away because it's like, oh, how can that be? really comforting or like refreshing and you know it doesn't have any alcohol so for me my like most of my family does drink so I just kind of bring in my mocktail options and I give them the option to add alcohol if they feel like is there a secret to making a mocktail that has those sort of complex interesting exciting flavors that a cocktail might have a tip to that for me is definitely just putting together like two to three bold flavors. And then I definitely just love stuffing my mocktails with like the ingredient, the raw ingredients. <laughs> so if I'm using like orange and apples and cranberries, I'll like have that, like whether I'm using like cranberry juice or whatever. And then I just stuff it with like the actual cranberries and oranges and apple slices. So and are yeah. you muddling those? To, like, are you basically putting those in a shaker of some sort and, and muddling them? Or how are we getting the flavors of all of those into our mocktail? Yes. Yeah, so I definitely try to go more of the natural route of like actually getting the fruit and muddling them in with liquids and then sweetening it a bit, whether that's like with like something like agave or maple syrup. 
And then, yeah, you're mixing it together with lila water or whatever your, you know, your liquid base is. And then after that, I just stuff it with the ingredients. What do you mean stuff? It's like, so those... Like, well, yeah, those like the cranberries and the sliced oranges and the apples just to like... Are make going it fancy. into the mocktail hole? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so you're kind of drinking like a fruit salad a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I like that because you're kind of then you can like you drink your drink, you can eat the fruit out the bottom, you're getting the fiber still from all of the fruit, it gives you something to do with your time. I like that. Do you how do you navigate this is such a drinking heavy season? And you mentioned even your family drinks and things like that. How do you navigate the pressures, the social pressure around drinking during this time of year? Um, Honestly, I wish I had like a formula, but I just I don't know. Like, I feel like I've just, it's always been easy for me because I just really never drank. I never really adapted to it. So I feel like I just have learned to just like always get the option that's available for me. That's not alcohol. But you Um, never have people who are like, oh, like, how do you have fun when you're not drinking? Or like, how do you like stay part of the conversation in a, you know what I mean? Like, how do do you deal with that kind of pressure? Um, at first it was really hard, definitely. Cause you feel like, oh, like I'm definitely not living because everyone else is doing it. Um, but I, I think I just kind of conditioned in my mind that it's totally okay if I'm not. Um, I think it's definitely just a mental game. I feel like, you know, a lot of the times when we're pressured to do things is because we just feel like, oh, maybe it'll make us cool. Or maybe it's because the majority is doing it and you feel lonely, but I kind of got I think I kind of just changed my perspective on it. And it's like, if I'm the only one in the room not drinking, it's not a bad thing per se. Like I can still be sociable. I can still talk and have conversations or do exactly what they're doing and enjoy what I want to enjoy. So I feel like it's just changing your perspective on the act of drinking and just realizing like you can still participate and no one even realizes that you're missing a beat unless people are totally like just taking shots and you're like awkward. And also, (laughs) like, honestly, if somebody's policing your drinking, that's sort of on them. Like, you know what I mean? If they're like, why aren't you (laughs) drinking? It it, it says more about them, I I feel like, than it says about you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you feel, this is kind of a weird question, but do you feel like it is harder to have fun or to overcome the social anxiety of holiday parties and things like that and hanging around all these people all the time without that? I don't know, soothing quality that alcohol, the loosening, the lack of inhibitions that alcohol provides? So to be honest, as an introvert, for me, I am like, it takes a few minutes or so for me to warm up in a social setting. So I guess normally people who wouldn't have alcohol would actually go through the same process if they're not an extrovert. Um, So I feel like, yeah, it's a little uncomfortable sometimes at first to be in social settings, especially when you don't know people, like if you know them, it's cool, it's easy. But I feel like it's healthy to go through processes. And it's not always like, I think we try as a society a lot to like skip processes. And like, you know, go like, I know for a fact, like there are people in my family who drink because of that reason. Like they feel like, oh man, I can't have fun. I can't loosen up. I'm going to be too nervous. I'm probably going to be a little closed off in the beginning. So I just want to be like the life of the party the moment it starts. And it's like, yeah, but I feel like we always try to kind of jump the gun on processes. Like before 
alcohol became this trend, people actually were like, oh man, I'm a little awkward, but I'm going to push through this. You know, I feel like our hormones will kick in and, you know, we will be able to like actually participate and have fun and be the life of the party eventually. But I feel like we just always try to like get to that end goal first. I love that. I love the idea (laughs) of enjoying all of the phases too, like enjoying when it is a little awkward and you are getting to know each other and enjoying the building of intimacy as the night progresses rather than skipping ahead to the the, the almost like false built intimacy that the alcohol is providing. Right. Right. I think that's, that's a really beautiful sentiment. If somebody wanted to experiment with being a little bit more sober curious during this holiday season? Are there any words of wisdom that you've learned over the years? Maybe from, it could be something super pragmatic, like here's the drink that I always ask for when I'm out, or here's what I tell my hostess so <laughs> as not to be awkward, or like, I don't know, any, anything you would have to say to them? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like today, especially, there's like so many options just in general. Before, I was the one that always asked for ginger ale, which was like, <laughs> I know it was just like, you're always drinking ginger ale. Well, for me, it was like, yeah, I actually love it. One, two, if you're nervous, it kind of settles your stomach. Like there's just like so many reasons. But um, I feel like today, like there are so many options now. And I think even restaurants and like places are actually doing more non-alcoholic drinks. So even if your friends are getting something, like you probably can get a virgin, a virgin version of it more than likely. So I just feel like I would just tell someone to just one, again, go in knowing that it's okay. If like just worst case scenario, you're the only person not drinking. I always try to like put it into that perspective. Um, But there's always going to probably be another person next to you not doing the same thing. But two, like I said, like, if your friends are getting a drink, just getting a virgin version of that drink or getting a cool mocktail and just owning it. I feel like it's just about owning anything that you choose to do. I feel like once you have confidence in it, like people actually stop asking. I feel like that's kind of something that I've learned throughout the years, especially in like social settings or like family settings and gatherings. Like people stopped asking me after a while because I was just confident about I'm okay with not drinking. I feel like people always pressure you when they feel like there's a little ounce of you that's like, uh, I wish I was. But the moment that you're confident with the fact that I don't want to drink and it's okay, and it's okay that you're drinking, people actually stop asking. (laughs) So I feel like it's just getting confident and owning what you decide. I love all that. I love, first of all, I love that you just mentioned it sort of offhand, (laughs) but it's such a genius tip that ginger settles your stomach and having an upset stomach is sort of like an anxiety symptom. So if you approach a social anxiety situation, instead of being like, how can I lubricate my way out of this? But rather like, how can I address the actual symptoms of social anxiety? I'm having one of them often being an upset stomach. That's that's genius unto itself. (laughs) Two, <laughs> I you. think that the idea of just sipping on something is it that's such a thing unto itself. Like the virgin yeah. drink, just having something fun to sip on, I think does a lot in terms right. of making you feel like you're part of the group, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the confidence thing. I think the confidence thing is so huge. I think sometimes we think we need the alcohol as permission to almost like ourselves or be unapologetic about our choices or to feel charming and likable. And I actually think it's a really great practice to 
remind yourself that you're charming and likable all on your own and you can be confident all on your own. I think that's a really beautiful sentiment. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. I agree. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I get asked constantly about my favorite protein powders because, quite frankly, it can be really hard to find ones that have great ingredients and actually taste good. Using protein in green smoothies is key. Protein is the most satiating macronutrient, so making sure there's a good amount of protein in your smoothies is the best way to avoid that mid-morning crash and make sure that you are full and happy through lunchtime. I've tried pretty much every protein powder on the market, and there are only a few that I like enough to keep stocked in my kitchen to use in all of my green smoothies, and I am so excited to introduce you to one of them today. Meet Clean Lean Protein by Newzest. These protein powders have some of the best ingredient lists that I have ever seen with no allergens, gums, or emulsifiers. It's a pea protein base, but they use this crazy patented chemical-free technique to make the protein highly digestible. It's actually got a 98% digestibility rating, which is way higher than most protein powders on the market. That means that all of the protein on the label is actually being absorbed and assimilated by your body, which is not always the case. That same process ensures that the texture is super smooth too, so it's not gritty and gross like so many protein powders. It's regularly tested for gluten, soy, dairy, heavy metals, and pesticides, so you can rest assured that you are just getting protein and nothing that can be at all harmful. Currently, I am obsessed with their digestive support line. They have a probiotic vanilla and a probiotic cacao. The vanilla gets its flavor from organic vanilla beans and is lightly sweetened with just a touch of organic coconut sugar. The cacao has just organic coconut sugar and cacao powder, and they both have probiotics and L-glutamine, which is one of my all-time favorite gut health supplements. Basically, if you are looking for a protein that has everything you want and nothing that you don't, Newzest will be your new go-to. They'll taste amazing in all of my smoothie recipes, I promise. And of course, I've got an amazing deal for you. Head over to newsest.us slash LizHT and use code LizM for 20% off your order. Again, that's newsest, N-U-Z-E-S-T dot U-S slash LizHT and the code is LizM for 20% off your order. I cannot wait for you to try this protein powder. I know you're going to be as obsessed as I am. Now, let's get back to the episode. So one thing I wanted to talk about really briefly was food styling because the <laughs> your photos on Instagram stop me in my tracks every single time. Oh my there. gosh. <laughs> so, so beautiful. And this is the time of year that we're all kind of trying to construct dishes that aren't only delicious, but are that that are like eye candy as well. So I was curious right. if you have any tricks for styling food and making it look gorgeous in addition to taste really delicious. Yes. Um, yes. So thank you, first and foremost. Yeah, I definitely get that a lot. And I think it's because my first love is actually interior design. So that's kind of why I put it into my food. And I actually got access. I think last year I was actually featured in like Food Network Mag about my food styling. And they were asking me about tips. And they thought like, you know, like I did like a lot of the things that actual food stylists do. And it's like, no, I actually try to make it really achievable. Um, I don't do like, you know, any tweezers, yeah, <laughs> like the secret stuff that they say. Um, I think I just have fun. And I feel like 
um, like I was saying with the mocktails, like to make it really fancy, I just use the raw ingredients and just stuff that and kind of add like a fresh herb or something. And that will make it pop. Um, I feel like with food, like I just figure out like what's the base of the dish and then how can I perfectly fit that on whether it's a platter or whatever, and then kind of surround it with things that either I'm making it with or that would taste great with it. And then like, let's say for instance, I just did a recently, I did a roasted chicken um, that's like cranberry and maple. I actually just brush it at the end after to kind of give it that gloss and that glisten. So I feel like it's just really understanding what the dish is, how you want it to look, and then just doing a last step, a final step that kind of just gives it that extra edge. I feel like your garnish game is so strong. So is that like you kind of would plate something like a roast chicken and you'd be like, this looks really plain on its own. What can I add? Like, how do you approach that for somebody who isn't naturally as aesthetically minded? I definitely would say less is more. I know that sounds weird and ironic coming from me, but it's just figuring out like let's say for instance you have like a skillet a fancy skillet i would actually i think about it in the process of while i'm making the food so if i'm going to make something like mashed potatoes usually people probably you know like make their mashed potatoes in maybe like a dish or something i actually would put it in a fancy skillet and then just leave it as such and then garnish the tops with it actually always keep like fresh herbs on hand just for the garnish. Um, I feel like just putting like a thyme leaf or a sprig or like a rosemary sprig always like gives it that extra pop. So definitely my tips are to have like a fancier prop of some sort. So that's whether it's a fancy plate, a skillet, a platter, um, definitely fresh herbs, color. I always feel like green, fresh herbs always gives it that extra pop. So those are like my two basic kind of tips. Oh my God. I think that fresh herbs are so clutch, especially I feel like we tend to think of more herb rich uh, dishes in the summer because it's like you're eating really fresh and blah, blah. But in winter, they're even more vital because you tend to eat these heartier, browner dishes. And when you add, just like you said, like some fresh thyme, some fresh rosemary, you could have, if I, I call it like my pile of mush rule, but if you have like basically a pile of mush and you want to make it look appealing, throw some fresh herbs on top. Yes. And you're good to go. People will be like, oh my gosh, it's gourmet. Yes, for sure. I, I love it. Do you have any great tips for using up big dinner party leftovers or eliminating food waste in that type of situation? Um, yes. So I definitely am a big believer and I love seeing a lot of other food bloggers do this where you like remix your leftovers. Um, so I definitely try to do that for sure, especially for Thanksgiving, because it's such large capacity of leftovers. Um, so like, for instance, if you have leftover sliced turkey, like just throw that on a sandwich or like, I don't know, throw that in like a pasta bake or kind of just repurpose it. Honestly, I feel like that definitely helps prevent waste a lot. Just repurposing whatever you have. Is turkey sandwich your, your go-to? It is. It is. And I'm always curious I- <laughs> what people do with their things. Like Zach's always like his his favorite part of Thanksgiving, I think, is Friday morning where he makes a sandwich with oh, turkey, yes. gravy, stuffing, mashed potatoes, cranberry sauce. It's like oh, his, yes. his hallelujah moment. <laughs> yes, for sure. I'm with him on that. Are there any other kind of like healthy cooking, eating tips or hacks that you could leave us with? 
Yes. So like I always tell people, because a lot of people, especially my readers, ask me, like, how do you transition to like plant based or vegan, especially if you're not used to it at all? My tip definitely, again, it's always just experimenting for sure. And then starting off small with like, like ingredient substitutes. I feel like people kind of try to overwhelm and say, oh, I'm going to throw away everything out of my fridge, everything out of my shelves and just like totally just get all vegan or plant-based ingredients. And it's like, no, just start with small substitutes. So if you usually drink milk, try dairy-free milks and just substituting that. Um, If you usually eat like, you know, regular butter, try vegan butter, you know, like just small substitutes and then building and working your way that way. I feel like that's like my main tip to anyone, especially for the holidays. I just feel like you don't have to do every single dish plant-based if you're not fully plant-based. But just starting off with like, you know, half of your dishes being plant-based and then half being regular and just doing it that way. I love that. Where can people uh, find you, find your book, find you on the internet? Um, Yes. So you can actually find me on my website. So orchidsandsweettea.com on all my social medias is orchids, the letter N, sweet tea, underscore. And then for my book, you can actually get it. It's available on all the major retailers. So Amazon, Walmart, Target, Barnes and Nobles, IndieBound. And it's actually called Orchids and Sweet Tea, Plant Forward Recipes with Jamaican Flavor and Southern Charm. Amazing. I love that. Well, thank you so much for all of this wonderful wisdom. And I have you, I, I hope you have a beautiful holiday season. Thank you. You too, Liz. Thank you for having me. I hope you loved this episode. I hope you got lots of fun tips and tricks to incorporate into your holiday season from all three of my beautiful, wonderful guests. And, you know, just keep in mind that the holidays are about feeling good and having fun and coming together and connecting with the people that we love. As Serena and I talked about, like, the goal of all of this is to enjoy ourselves. So keep that in mind. A little stress here and there never hurt anybody. But, you know, keep in mind that the ultimate goal is to feel good and take gentle care of yourself with that in mind. I would love to hear if there's any things that you learned in this episode that you're incorporating into your holiday season. So definitely tag me on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody. I would love to see how you're celebrating, what you're celebrating, what you're eating, what you're drinking. So hit me up. I would love to know. And I would love for you to check out htdeck.com for the Healthier Together deck. I am so, so excited about this. I launched on Instagram a few days ago. I have been absolutely floored by the response that I've gotten from everybody. So many people are just like, I have been waiting for a product like this. I can't wait to have real conversations with my dad. Um, you know, I just, I, I connected with my partner. I have had a few people who've already gotten their decks and somebody's like, I had the best date night I have had in years with my partner. And it just warms my heart. It makes me so happy to be even a teeny tiny part of people connecting in this way and feeling close to the people in their lives. So this product is so, so close to my heart. It is so the contribution that I want to make to this world. So if you are interested in checking it out, it is at htdeck.com. And I hope you love it. I will see you next week on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. Money was such a source of anxiety for me for a long time. I'm always talking about building good, healthy habits, but I didn't have 
any when it came to financial wellness. Once I started getting educated about my money, I began to feel empowered about it. And pretty soon I was like, how did I let this cause me so much anxiety for so long? If you are struggling just like I was, you need to check out YNAB. YNAB is an app that teaches a set of simple money habits to help you spend, save, and give without guilt or second guessing. It's one of the apps that experts I talk to recommend over and over because it's grounded in techniques that you won't see anywhere else that actually work. You start off by learning four simple core habits that are actually genius and have completely changed the way that I think about money. And then it guides you through saving so you are never caught off guard by a surprise expense again, so you feel safe and secure with money. But maybe more importantly, it also helps you fit the things that you love into your spending plan so that you know you have the money for that bachelorette party or that weekend getaway that you've been dreaming of. Also, and I love this, you can add up to six users to one account. So if you manage money as roommates or with your partner, it has got you covered. It has incredibly high ratings on all platforms and has become a huge cult hit because it's helped millions of people actually build the financial life of their dreams, even people who truly thought it was impossible. Check out YNAB and learn the habits with a one-month free trial, no credit card required, at www.yabb.com ynab.com slash Liz Moody. You'll get a month completely free and be able to see for yourself what a big difference it makes. I promise you're going to get back way more than you spend. That's www.ynab.com slash Liz Moody.